0: Your neighbor's lawn, the grassy areas around a school or office building, or the vegetation around a shopping mall all have something in common. Herbicides and pesticides are commonly used in such places to maintain what people consider aesthetically pleasing, namely, vast expanses of lawn. Welcome to Mothering Earth your source for sustainable living news. I'm Salwa Khan. Those herbicides and pesticides kill their target plants and pests, but they also pose a health risk to the people who use them, to the people who walk, run, and play on those lawns, and to the environment. The chemicals found in many commercial herbicides and pesticides are linked to human health issues. One of the most common products, Roundup, uses glyphosate, which is considered a possible carcinogen by the World Health Organization. Thousands of lawsuits alleging Roundup caused cancer have been settled with pending monetary payments by Monsanto, the maker of Roundup. In 2017, two undergraduate students at the University of California at Berkeley learned that their campus green areas were being sprayed with a glyphosate product. The two women began a campaign that has almost eliminated the use of such products at the university. They went on to found a group that now works with students at other universities to create herbicide-free campuses. They advocate for chemical-free mechanical practices for weed management on campuses. My guest is Christy Jones, a student fellow at Herbicide-Free Campus at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. My name is
1: Christy Jones. I'm a recent graduate uh, from Emory University, and I'm a part of their environmental health four plus one program. So throughout my undergrad career, I was taking master's classes. So I have one year left to get my master's of public health. I have worked with Herbicide Free Campus for the last two years now, creating a student initiative at Emory University.
0: And give us an idea of what Herbicide Free Campus is about.
1: Herbicide Free Campus is a nationwide student initiative. So we have, we're a nonprofit organization, but we have kind of sister campuses all throughout the country. And our goal is to support and empower students to eliminate herbicides on their campuses. So we view kind of the university structure as a great place for change kind of at the cusp of a lot of these environmental issues that we're discussing. And so we kind of prioritize working at universities to promote change outward.
0: And where did Herbicide Free Campus begin? And and do you know how it began?
1: So Herbicide Free Campus was born in 2017, when two UC Berkeley student athletes discovered herbicides were sprayed around their beach volleyball court. So the two women, Mackenzie Feldman and Bridget Gustafson uh, were the founders of Herbicide Free Campus after kind of discovering the the issue of herbicides and how readily they were applied on campus. So they met with the athletic grounds manager and they started organizing their team to pick weeds as an alternate um, or an alternative to herbicides being sprayed on their beach volleyball court.
0: Let's define what we're talking about when we say uh, herbicides. What are they? What are they used for?
1: Herbicides are kind of any substance used to destroy unwanted plants. So often, when we're talking about herbicides in a negative light, we're talking about synthetic herbicides. So those man-made chemicals um, that are created to target and kill unwanted plants, trees, etc. And so herbicides fall under the umbrella of pesticides, but But the the difference kind of is that herbicides are specific to destroying unwanted plants.
0: And, And why are students opposed to the use of these chemicals? What are the issues?
1: How I got involved in caring about these chemicals was the kind of repercussions on human health. So like I mentioned with the Lee Johnson versus Monsanto court case, there have been many linkages, many research studies showing this connection between glyphosate specifically which is a synthetic herbicide glyphosate usage and non-hodgkin's lymphoma which is a rare type of blood cancer and so since since that first case they Monsanto the chemical company that produces most glyphosate based herbicides has paid up to $10 billion, paying off over 100,000 plaintiffs who have provided evidence in the court that their glyphosate usage kind of caused them to develop non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and other forms of cancer. And so beyond the cancerous links, and you'll see the WHO has deemed glyphosate and other synthetic herbicides as likely carcinogenic, um, but beyond just that, that one kind of one herbicide glyphosate many herbicides are connected to reproductive health issues to other forms of cancer and to other immunological issues and and um, diseases from chronic to uh, from chronic to minor kind of issues and so then beyond that beyond just the health repercussions it's really just a huge burden on our ecosystems on our environment Research shows that synthetic pesticides contaminate more than 90% of pollen samples from beehives in agricultural areas, and bee poisoning from pesticides translates to around $13 million lost in crops annually. And beyond that, there's groundwater contamination from herbicides that you know kills aquatic. It's most herbicides are are really. Toxic in the water into aquatic organisms. So when we have herbicides getting into our groundwater, we have bigger issues with it killing off our aquatic ecosystems. Um, and and so there's from the agricultural side, there's health issues. There's also kind of economic issues with loss of crops. But it's just so intersectional. It's hard to to give you a straight answer of why you should care. Um, it's it's so intersectional with all of these climate justice issues and. Yeah, especially with pollinators and biodiversity.
0: You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm here today with Christy Jones, who is a student fellow at Herbicide Free Campus at Emory University in Atlanta, and uh, we're talking about the use of herbicides on college campuses. Are there any alternatives that Herbicide Free Campus has developed or suggests?
1: Yes, absolutely. That's a great question. So. Kind of that distinction I made earlier in our discussion between herbicides and synthetic herbicides. That's kind of where herbicide-free campus rests. So we're not here to say that necessarily all herbicides are bad, although most are. It's really a focus on these synthetic herbicides, these man-made chemicals. There are a lot of bio-herbicides on the market that use acetic acid or vinegar or other kind of natural fruit oils to handle pest control or unwanted plant control. And so those have a way less detrimental impact on the environment. And and that makes sense to us thinking about it. You know, a naturally derived chemical is a lot easier on the environment than something that was cooked up in a lab. And so while the number one, the number one alternative to herbicide usage is going organic and there are, you know, Depending on what type of land you're trying to manage, there are tons of different tips and strategies for organic management from the institutional campus wide side, from agricultural fields. But looking just at campuses, we've suggested some alternatives that are deemed bioherbicides, so those naturally derived chemicals. Mm-hmm. So, an example of this would be. There's a product uh, created by Contact Organics, and that's one of these acetic acid or vinegar-based herbicides. And so that type of of herbicide is is sort of, I'm, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain this, is more accepted by the ecosystem. So for example, if we're looking at glyphosate, the active ingredient in Roundup, which is a synthetic herbicide, Glyphosate is sprayed on a target area filled with weeds and unwanted plants and glyphosate translocates through the plant. So it travels from the leaves where it's sprayed into the actual roots and substance of the plants and gets into the soil and is absorbed by the soil and that's where you're seeing a huge decrease in soil health and it can from there permeate through the water from rainfall etc. with these bioherbicides like weed terminator, you spray them and they are less likely to translocate, which can sometimes make it harder to kill that plant, but it's much safer for the environment. And when they get into the soil, they're absorbed as a natural ingredient. So for example, if you sprayed vinegar or poured a little bit of vinegar on your yard, you're not going to see the soil or all the plants there die immediately. It's going to be over time and so a lot of these alternatives are just an investment of more time and energy basically not taking the easy way out if that makes sense
0: and then uh there's also just pulling weeds yes so you hit on (laughs) the big
1: one can't believe i missed that yes there are a, a lot of what we stand for is kind of returning to the more ancestral or traditional forms of land care and land management So crop rotations in agricultural fields or hand pulling of weeds in home gardens, on institution at institutions, because, you know, we can. It it just takes a little bit more work. When I mentioned the not taking the easy way out, it takes more manpower. It costs a little bit more money in paying for that land power. But our ecosystems will thank us for that.
0: You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan. I'm here today with Christy Jones, a student fellow at uh, herbicide-free campus at Emory University, um, and what what was or is the situation currently at your school?
1: So at Emory, we have seven hundred and thirty-one acres of beautiful natural space, kind of nestled in metropolitan Atlanta. We're very lucky to have a campus that really prioritizes green space, even kind of in our city landscape, but there is still currently glyphosate and you know, other herbicide usage and pesticide usage at Emory. So I've worked with my school's sustainability office as well as herbicide-free campus to address that at Emory. And it's been a long and arduous process. So we finally have benchmarking. A big issue in this is that a lot of grounds crews don't keep data on when, where, and what they're spraying. And so it's hard then from the activist standpoint to try to come in and say, how can we change this if you don't know what's already happening? So that's been a big kind of win for us is over the last year, we've implemented herbicide and pesticide, broader pesticide benchmarking at Emory University. And so since I have been working with Herbicide Free Campus, we've seen about a 25% decrease in glyphosate usage on Emory grounds and so glyphosate at emery is used for primarily one of two reasons and that's maintenance of ornamental horticulture so that's you know the flower beds the mm. kind of you know pretty pristine traditional uh, areas of campus that you're used to seeing and then the other kind of big herbicide user herbicide reliance is our invasive species management So we have a lot of English ivy and Chinese privet and a lot of these other invasive species that are pretty hard to combat. And so previously the land care team was glyphosate was the go-to for that because it kills everything. But now with all of these findings, we're really trying to implement alternatives like the one I, we've done a lot of patch testing for these alternatives, like the one I, I mentioned before to try to see how if we need to use an herbicide right now, how can we use one that's safe for the people applying, safe for the people who come in contact with it and safe for our environment?
0: Yeah, and I would think your grounds people would be very interested in this. Are are they?
1: Unfortunately, no. And oh. I know that's not true for other campuses. There's some student fellows who, you know, make contact with their grounds team and and you know, their, their head groundskeeper is like, absolutely, let's do it. I just, I didn't have the manpower or I didn't have the, you know, time or energy or help to make this transition, but I'm ready. Unfortunately, that's not the case at Emory. We have a grounds team that is, they're wonderful. Like they do really, really great work and they're very educated, but they've been doing this for a long time. Um, And so I think it might be a little bit of those traditional ways that that people get attached to of, hey, no, that's how I've been doing it for this whole time. Who are you to say that that was wrong? Or who are you to say that I need to do it differently? And so I think that's been a lot of the issue in communicating this transition to the grounds teams because they're not fully able to understand or accept data showing that we need to change. Yeah.
0: So uh, how about students? What is the uh, level of student interest?
1: So students are fully on board. It's been amazing actually seeing the, seeing the, the student response to our work. So we, this past year, obviously we were online because of COVID. And so that was a huge kind of challenge for us because how do you, when so much of this work is on the ground work? it's getting a group of student volunteers to go out and weed an area or help cut down invasives with the grounds team. Without that, it was hard to think of how, how can we still be useful? How can we still work towards our goal when, you know, human contact is out of the question? But we have had so much response to a lot of our community education initiatives. So hosting events and trainings and all of these kind of virtual events to engage with this information, to create an awareness throughout the Emory community of this issue. And now that we're back in person, we're able to really capitalize on that. We have we have partner, partner organizations throughout Atlanta. We have our students on campus. We have student organizations also on campus that we work with. And after this year of really working towards educating as many people as we can on this issue, we have a bunch of people ready to to do the work now that we're back in person.
0: That's great. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan, and I'm speaking with Christy Jones, a student fellow at Herbicide Free Campus in uh, Atlanta at Emory University. Um, what was the reaction of the uh, administration when you, when Herbicide Free Campus, uh, I assume, presented some sort of program? Is that what happened? Yes.
1: Yeah. So it was a mixed bag, to be honest with you. So some departments at Emory are fully on board with us. So the Environmental Health Department at the Rollins School of Public Health on Emory's campus has been one of our biggest supporters, as has the kind of Environmental Science Department and the Sustainability Offices. We've had a good response from from larger administrations. For example, we've done a few grant projects where we needed to get approvals from deans and you know other or other departments at Emory like exterior facilities or all of those other kind of logistics groups at Emory but it's a little bit difficult because nobody wants to nobody wants to make waves and nobody wants to tell the grounds team yeah this is bad we need to change and not to say that they're doing something bad but the use of these chemicals just in general is is having negative effects, nobody wants to have to enforce that. And so I think it's easier a little bit to close your eyes to the research and say, oh, the EPA says it's safe right now. So it's safe right now. And that's been, that's in my perspective, that's been a lot of the response from administration. It's just, hey, EPA says it's fine. We think it's fine right now. And so it's been a bit of an uphill battle trying to to show all of these like a huge body of, of research that says the opposite.
0: Well that must be very frustrating for you and, and your group. Um, is have you I assume you've uh, made an effort to co- contact your uh, university president?
1: We're in the process right now of making a student petition and the the goal of that now that we feel that we've kind of exhausted, our avenues of working with the grounds team is to bring this student petition to the president. It's it's kind of hard to have a meaningful discussion with a head of the school if you don't have the signatures backing you. So mm-hmm. we're in that step one before we kind of make action based on response to our petition.
0: That makes sense. Um, are there any are there any cost savings that the university would Uh, you know, would see if they move to organic, more organic methods?
1: So you hit on a really good question that's really hard to measure. Mm. So cost benefit analysis on this issue is pretty difficult because the United States in general has been severely herbicide reliant since the advent and popularization of herbicides in the 1940s. Since the 1940s, all of our land management has been herbicide related. That's been the go-to. And it's only in the last 10, 15 years that we're really seeing a push from that. And so when you look at a cost-benefit analysis, a lot of these organic methods or even herbicide alternatives that are you know, bio-herbicides or non-synthetic herbicides cost a little bit more. Glyphosate they should almost give it away for free. And I think in some states, they do give it away for free. Uh, I wish I knew the actual county or state for you, but I was in a conversation with uh, a colleague the other day who lives in, I believe, Indiana, and she was telling me about the glyphosate arena in in her region, and glyphosate is dirt cheap. Um, And a lot of these other methods, so we talked about hand weeding, costs more money because you need more bodies. The bioherbicides have a higher per gallon cost, but even though there is higher cost on the front end, the belief is that we're creating healthier ecosystems through these management techniques. So you look at glyphosate, and that chemical decreases soil health, it decreases soil microbial density, all of these things in the soil that we need to create healthy, abundant plants. And so with the consistent spraying of glyphosate and other synthetic herbicides, we're we're kind of hurting, we're we're hurting the environment. We're, we're, We're decreasing its ability to bounce back with the plants that we do want. And so by using organic methods, the story is that we have a healthier environment overall that's able to Manage itself better, better homeostasis in the ecosystem without us touching it. Right. So we'll have a high, a healthier environment that has less unwanted plants naturally,
0: and and healthier people, I would think, and
1: healthier people. Number one, absolutely, Which is really
0: important. So I I guess I thought I had seen something at the UC Berkeley uh, site about cost savings. Uh, maybe I. Maybe I read it somewhere else.
1: No, you're probably right i I don't have any kind of cost cost analysis on okay. me. Um, I know that I've worked on some at Emory University specifically, as have other master's students and the the end results, you know kind of the the conclusion paragraph of all those reports are that organic methods are cheaper in the long run, right. It's just the front end costs that are a little different.
0: How is Herbicide Free Campus spreading the word to other schools, to other universities?
1: Yes. So we do tons of outreach. We host so many events with different nonprofits and organizations throughout the country. And we try to publicize these events for anyone to come. So how Herbicide Free Campus works is that they support a certain amount of campuses each some each year each calendar year so they kind of you apply to become an herbicide free campus and they review the management at your campus your student initiative what you have available and they say okay here's how we can help you let let us pour all of our resources into let's say six campuses as accelerated campuses. The goal in the end of that one-year program with Herbicide Free Campus is to get that school as close as close to organic as we can. Beyond that, Herbicide Free Campus is developing an organic or an herbicide-free certification.
0: You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan. I'm here today with Christy Jones, a student fellow at Herbicide Free Campus. And, uh, so I was wondering, uh, you and other students who are involved in this group, are you taking this campaign home to your sort of neighborhoods and parents and friends?
1: Absolutely. Uh, my friends cannot stop hearing about this, even if they tried. (laughs) My mom, actually, I can't, I went home for summer break this year and first day I got home showed up in my car, walked in the front door, and my mom is spraying Roundup on the (gasps) weeds in our pavement. (laughs) And that was when we had to have the conversation of, okay, we need to find a a toxic disposal for us to get rid of of, of this chemical. Let's talk about how it can be impacting you and what it's doing to our environment. And let's figure out what alternative works for our space. So definitely, definitely taking this home. I couldn't shut this off if I wanted to.
0: I hope you've enjoyed this program. I find it inspiring to hear from young people who are acting on their knowledge, who care passionately and are doing something to preserve and protect our environment. Perhaps you know a student who would like their campus to be herbicide-free. Please tell people you know about this podcast. If you like Mothering Earth, give us a review on your podcast platform. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time... This is Salwa Khan signing off for Mothering Earth, your source for sustainable living news.